Welcome to Harvest Connection Podcast. Our prayer for you as you listen to these messages is that you will be connected upward, inward, and outward for God's kingdom purpose in your life. It's like Allison said this morning, we take our freedom sometimes for granted. And we don't look like free people. We don't act like free people. We tend to settle for something less than what God has for us. And some of you may be settling for something less than God has for you this morning, this very hour. This very life, this very setting that God has given you, are you settling for something less than what his intention was for you? Proverbs 16.2 says it this way, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. In the end, boy, that's a good one to start the message out with in the morning, isn't it? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And that's not Jesus. Jesus said that he came that we might have life, just the opposite. So if we settle for something less, it could settle us in a place that brings death. See, the danger in simply settling in life is is this, that it seemed like a great path, but the destination wasn't so good after all. It was good for the day, but not for tomorrow. And unfortunately, yesterday is now today, and tomorrow will come. We tend to say tomorrow never comes, but it does. And so we need to pay attention. Are we simply settling for less than God's best in this life? Because if we steward well, that won't be the case. Genesis chapter 13, verse 5. Lots of reading here. Stay with me. It's tough, I know. It's early. Hey, you got a good attendance this morning. You guys, that, that tells me you must be, something woke you up this morning, right? You're here. Genesis 13, 5. Now, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents. Now, if you don't know who Lot is, Lot is Abram's nephew, and, and he doesn't go on to explain a whole lot about that in this passage. But the two have families that have really been blessed, and they have really grown. Watch what happens. But the land could not support them while they were living side by side. In other words, they, they, their cattle, they had too many cattle, too many lambs, sheep. They, they just had too much, and they continued to grow side by side, and they were packed. Because their possessions were so great, they were not able to live alongside one another. So there were quarrels among, or quarrels between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Now the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land at that time. Abram said to Lot, let there be no quarreling between uh, me and you and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you go to the left, then I will go to the right. But if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw the whole region of the Jordan. He noticed that all of it was well watered. You know, of course, this is before the Lord obliterated Gomorrah, but let's just keep going. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, all the way to Zor. Lot chose for himself the whole region of the Jordan and traveled toward the east. So the relatives separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, but Lot settled among the cities of the Jordan Jordan plain and pitched his tents next to Sodom. Verse 14, after Lot had departed, the Lord said to Abram, look from the place where you stand to the north, south, east, and west. I will give all the land that you see to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to count the dust of the earth, then your descendants can be counted. 
Get up and walk throughout the land, for I will give it to you. Now notice they had to get up and walk in order to receive it. They weren't just settling out. They had to settle through. They had to keep moving. So Abram moved his tents and went to live by the oaks of Mamre in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord there. You know, it's that time of year ago, uh, uh, that, that time of year again, it's fall is in the air, Friday night lights. If you haven't participated in them, you should, right? You have probably heard it said that life is a journey. As I've intentionally prayed about this over the past several months, it's apparent that life really is a series of destinations. And that's what, what God was trying to show Lot as well as Abram, hey, there's a destination for you, but even in that destination, you don't want to grow stagnant. There's so much more that I have for you. When you become complacent, it becomes dangerous. All of a sudden, the taking of the land and, and the journeying throughout the land and, and finding those destinations and the prosperity within those destinations, uh, we, we tend to, to settle, we tend to, 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 to wait and think maybe tomorrow will be a better day. We no longer steward well. As, as falls in the air, it always reminds me that there's a change coming. The, the change of the weather has already happened to some degree. It was, it, it was pretty chilly last night, right? That there's a change coming. And what God wants us to do is learn how to embrace the change and to steward that change well in our life not to grow complacent because complacency is the enemy of God's intention in our lives complacency is the enemy of God's intention in our lives so life really does have a series of destinations it's usually not just one destination it's a series of destinations we find ourselves arriving at destinations oftentimes in life either chosen or by happen happenstance Sometimes we arrive because of a good decision that we made along the way. Other times we arrive through the unpredictability of life. But listen, wherever you are in life, please hear me out. Don't settle. That's not God's intention for you. Don't settle. When I arrive at desired destinations, one thing they all usually have in common, I would say it's the 80-20 rule. When finally a destination happens, I go, you know what? Praise God, I somewhat had a game plan for that. When I go and watch the football games uh, uh, last night, it was interesting because I, I saw WT for a while. And as I watched West Texas A&M playing out on the field, the one thing they had, they had a great game plan the first half. Right? And what they had hoped were the points they scored in the first quarter would carry them through to the last quarter. And I kept telling Allison, this team's good. I mean, they're really, they're really pretty good. They're, they're big boys. We were sitting on the visitor side, and these guys, I was looking up their, their numbers to see how big it is. 6'5", 320 pounds, built like this. I mean, these guys were huge, built like me. That's what I meant by that, right? And, and though WT played a great first quarter and, and, and a pretty good second quarter, it's a good thing they scored as many points as they did because at the end of the game, Central Michigan, or Central Washington, Central Washington, sorry, Michigan, they almost came back and did them in at the end. 
right? Here's the truth, that, that when you've got a good game plan, you've got to stay with it. That when God gives us a good game plan and, and we hear his voice speak in our lives, we have to stay with it. We've got to forge forward. We can't, we can't just stay the same. I mean, in the game, there are nine innings, two halves, four quarters, five sets if needed, and God knows that I've needed all five at times in my life. There are 18 holes, four laps around the track. There are 12 rounds usually in a great boxing match. There is a beginning and an end. I once heard it said that most men's dreams die on the couch in front of the TV. Look, what gets your attention, we always say, gets your direction and eventually gets your destination. Life is much more than a journey. There, there, there are destinations in life, but usually that's plural. The last thing you and I want to do is settle for less than what God's intention was for us. It's the last thing we want to do personally. It's the last thing we want to do corporately. God chose us before the foundation of the world not to settle. Go is what he says. Go into all the world and make disciples. How many of us wake up in the morning with that very goal on our heart? Oh, yeah, Jesus said go. But, Lord, I just want to stay. I mean, it was the Apostle Paul. Didn't he say, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life? Just trying to be quiet here, God. Just nobody bother me and I won't bother them. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm just going to stay right here where I am. My little piece of this world, live and hopefully make a destination known as heaven. And Jesus said, and, but when you pray, but when you pray on earth as it is where? In heaven. We're to pray that heaven's here. Are we doing that? You know, last week's message, we talked about the parable of the talents. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one. And the one who was given only one, he blamed the giver. He settled. He said, you know what, I don't need my life interrupted. I'm doing a pretty good job with it right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this talent, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to bury it. And when the master comes back, I'll just give it back to him, and I'll blame him. I'll say, I didn't get as much as the other guy that got two or the one that got five. I'm just going to blame him, but don't interrupt my life. Abraham, see, Abraham had a destination, but it, he also had destinations. Joseph had a destination, but he also had destinations. Moses with a destination. David, I love David, because one of the things you learn about David is David, what? He, he comes out of Bethlehem. From Bethlehem, he moves on to this place known as Agilom, and he's in hiding. He goes from Agilom up to Hebron, the highest mountain peak, and eventually he'll reign in Zion. It was a series of destinations in his life. Jesus had a destination, but the cross couldn't hold him. And so though he was slain before the foundation of the world, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He had destinations. Paul. Paul's a funny character when you look at him. I mean, that guy, I mean, he went on three journeys, three full-blown journeys, and one part-time journey, you might say. And he kept saying, I want to go to Rome. Even when he was warned, you don't want to wind up in Rome, that's going to be your final destination. And it was. But he was not complacent, right? He continued on the journey. Life is full of destinations. In football, there's the end zone. In baseball, there's the fence. In soccer, there's the goal. 
Life is full of destinations, and you've got to play the game to win. With the end in mind, have some type of game plan for moving on and moving up and moving beyond. I will smell the roses later. Maybe when they're on my grave. I won't smell them then. You see, it makes sense to not only have a plan, but to have oftentimes a backup plan. This week, we're going to make it clear to you that you don't want to settle for anything less than God's best for you. It's, it's got the journey involved. It's also got several destinations involved. Let me back the story up a little bit. Genesis chapter 11. So we were in 13. Let's just back up and look at it. Don't you love to read backwards? What's Hebrew? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 1. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from the Ur of the Chaldeans and into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, this is interesting because here they go and they're going to settle. Generally speaking, they're settling for less than the promised land. And our tendency is to settle. Once again, listen, names and places have significant insight to our understanding of this story in Scripture. Terah, who is Abraham's father, Abram's father, right? This means duration. His name means duration, wondering. It means having no destination. Haran. And this is what that means. It means mountainous, rest, but it also means a place of the dead. That if you just stayed and you didn't, you didn't move out, it became the place of the dead. The root word for heron means flabby, to be idle, to come to an end. Abram and his family settled short of the promised land. We stop before we get where we are supposed to go. We settle for less. And honestly, the allurement of settling there is more appealing than us moving on with this life and what God has called us to. I'm comfortable in my life right here. God, don't interrupt it. And if you do, I might just bury it. Church, it's a dangerous place to be. Regardless of our age, Abram couldn't use that. He tried. Sarah tried. It didn't work. God wanted to see them on the move in pursuit of him and in pursuit of what he had for them. So listen, church, don't settle for less than God's best in your life. Uh, One of you came up to me this morning and said, the doctor said this, but I'm saying this. I'm believing for this. I've got this. God's going to show me a way out. He already has, and it's through his plan, not the plans of physicians. I'm not saying physicians are wrong. I'm just simply saying you've got to learn to hear hear from God and hear his voice because he moves us that way. He doesn't want us to settle for less than what he has for each and every one of us. The truth is that people settle for less for many reasons, but I'm going to give you a top four list right here. The first one is this, that they have no vision for their lives. When you have no vision for your life, you will settle. Women, listen to me. Some of you settled for the men that you're with. Uh-oh. You didn't have to get all in my business. I mean, I'm here, Curtis. He's got to be a good man. Maybe he's here. Maybe he's not. 
But this is, this is what we hear, this is what we see oftentimes, is that women become so, so agitated and aggravated because they haven't found the one that they wind up settling for something less than what God had intended for you. Now, I'm not saying you're sitting by them. As a matter of fact, if they're here, praise God, bless God. Men, you sometimes settle for something less. Less than God's best. Less than what God had intended for you. And oftentimes that happens because we don't have vision for our lives. You find a high school student, as a matter of fact, I've made it a point to talk to a handful of high school students over the past month, really just asking them, you know, what do you want to be in life? What do you want to do in life? Where would you like to to wind up? What's your destination or destinations in life going to be? And it's interesting because some are just dreamers. I'm going to be a doctor. Look, you make C's and D's. Sometimes that. Probably, let's get realistic, Okay. Somewhere something's got to change. Right? I mean, I was that guy. I took the MCAT, and I think it was the M-Dog because uh, when they saw it, it looked nothing like a cat. I'm just telling you, for some of you, you're simply settling less. And when I talk to these high school students, the ones the ones that don't worry about who they're wrapped up with, the ones who don't worry about who they're getting entangled with are the ones who have vision and say, I'm going to accomplish this in my life and nothing is going to get in my way. Sometimes it's something simplistic. I even asked my, my second daughter, I asked her, what do you want to be? She said, I'm going to be an English teacher. Let me tell you something. She'll be an English teacher. Because what looks to, to get in her way is not going to be there because something's put that on her heart that's and that is very accomplishable for her i'm like no you want to be a doctor you're just going to be correcting me the rest of your life if you're an english student. but anyway see people with vision people with with vision don't get peeled off too much they really don't they say this is our destination this is my destination this is where we're going we're going on to take the land right The writer of Proverbs declares clearly where there is no vision, the people will perish. Other versions or other translations of that say simply this, that the people will cast off restraint. If you don't have vision in your life, I want you to hear me. It's very easy for you to cast off restraint. This is why we have a smoking epidemic or a vaping epidemic or a a, a drug epidemic or alcoholism because we cast off restraint simply because we don't have vision. When churches no longer have vision, what happens is they become institutions, and institutions eventually are only concerned about those on the inside instead of caring and and having vision for those who are on the outside. You know, the church is the only institution that I know of that solely exists for those who are not yet a part of it. That's the church. And once we simply focus on us, then, then what happens is we become institutionalized and look very much like the rest of the institutions who eventually they grow, they have their heyday, and then boom, they start to what? Decline massively and majorly. Let me ask you this question. What is your vision for your life? Just stop and think. 
for just a moment, sometimes we just need to be stopped in our tracks and ask a very simple question. What is your vision for your life? When my youngest was in kindergarten, at the end of kindergarten, when they had their little graduation, they take all the kindergartners at Crestview, they take them all up on the stage, and they ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up, of course? And there were all these, you know, veterinarians and all this stuff. When my daughter got up there, my youngest, she said, I want to be a mother. That's a great vision. It is. It's okay to be a mother. I mean, let's be married and let's be 35. That's maybe got, uh, their dad's vision, right? But, but here's the truth. Without vision, people perish. We perish. You see, what's your vision for the lives of those who are around you? Do you have an urgency? Do you have a wantonness that they would meet your Lord one day? What about in your job situation? How can you lead from the second chair? How can you pray for your bosses? And earnestly desire that they too would be included in the kingdom of God and invited yet to his table. See, what's the vision for that? People who lack vision become complacent. And complacency is the enemy of Christianity. The second thing I would say, I was looking for a fancy word and I remembered this one using it years ago. I read it in a book and had to learn about it, but it's the midday acidia. I just use that word so you would think I know something that maybe you don't, but it actually means complacency. <laughs> but it's this midday complacency. It's this midlife crisis. It's this spiritual or mental sloth. It's apathy. Willow Creek did a study. And it's an interesting study. The study is called the Willow Creek Reveal. And Willow Creek, if you don't know anything about it, it's a pretty good-sized church, right? And they did this study. I'm just kidding. It's huge, all right? It's one of the most well-known mega churches throughout the United States and the world, for that matter. And they did this study, and it's interesting about this study because they wanted to find out who were truly dissatisfied with the church. And watch this. They found that those who claimed to be closest to Christ were the most dissatisfied with church. <laughs> that threw a curveball at me. I don't like this study. But it's, it's, it's true. And I mean, they, 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 they did more studies on this to say, hey, what is going on if they claim to be close to Christ? Well, they found out that these only read their Bibles from 3 to 10%, but they claimed to be closest to Christ. It's the ones who, who really were plugged into the church and believed in the church and believed the church was the hope for the world were those who claimed to be Christ-centered. And so I wanted to see what's the difference between those who are Christ-centered and those who claim to be close to Christ. Christ-centered simply means this, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Christ-centered means that I live my life according to the vision that Christ has given me. But look, close to God means, hey, I can draw in, I can draw out. God can choose to be my co-pilot or not. God can, can choose to be a part of my life or not. Or I can choose to be a part of his, but it's my life. And there's a big difference. 
See, the midday ascidia, really what happens is, is we, we get to say, we start saying things like this, I've done my time. I'm the middle-aged Christian. I, I've lost my appetite to some degree. It, it, it becomes dangerous. It's, it's going back to Terah. See, the problem with Terah was, was simply his wondering. He had no vision. He wandered around and had babies. No vision. Unfortunately, God spoke into his descendants. And then the third thing I would say is the fear of failure. Look, there's always a fear of failure. When you set vision for your life, when you put your life on a course, when you, uh, I, I had a man one time, um, I, I love sharing, I hadn't shared this story in a long time, but years ago, uh, I was in the military and I was, uh, I came across a, a pickup that I thought would be good for dad's farm. So I called dad and dad said, I said, hey, this pickup's a 1979 Ford F-150, it's jacked up, got big tires, you're going to like this. I mean, and it's got an air conditioner. Now, it was old. It was old back then. But I said, Dad, this thing doesn't have a spot of rust on it. It's like brand new. It's a brand new truck. And back in that day, they made them heavy. You want this? And Dad said, well, buy it. I'll give you the money, and we'll meet in Albuquerque. So I'm, I'm coming into Albuquerque to meet them and going to drop the, the pickup off with them, and I'm going to stay at a, at a motel that night. And Actually, no, I'm not even staying at the motel. I'm just walking up to the pay phone. We didn't have cell phones in the day. And so there were some, but I didn't have one. So I, I walked up to the pay phone and was using a pay phone. And I see this guy with a hoodie. And it's like 1 in the morning. He's like walking up behind me. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to end well <laughs> for him, just so you know, okay? <laughs> and so I, I get off the phone. He's, hey, I need to talk to you. And I just kept walking. He said, hey, I need to talk to you. And finally I stopped and I said, what is it? And he said, look, it's past midnight and I've promised my Lord that I would share Jesus with someone every day. And I need to share Jesus with you. That's vision. Some people won't do it because of the fear of failure. Fear kills more dreams than failure. Fear kills more dreams than failure. You've got to see this. You've got to see it because God calls us to face the giants in our lives. There were real giants to be faced in the promised land and to stop the wondering. And, and, and David could never become complacent. When he did, he be, it, it got dangerous for him. When he was complacent and he refused to go out to battle and he was the best warrior on the field and he said, ah, I'm getting tired. And he forgot what he was called to. He became complacent. And when we're living in complacency, we become very vulnerable, church. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Sometimes you just got to put yourself out there. Comparison is the fourth and final one. Look, we settle because we compare what we have done with what others have done. We just tend to do this. We live in a life of comparison. Let me tell you something. If we were truly in a battle every day, you would just want the one in the foxhole next to you to get their job done. I promise you, you're not going to be worried about what he's wearing, wearing, that his boots are a little shinier than yours, that the sergeant major paid a little more attention to him in uniform the other day than he did to you. I don't like the sergeant major anyway. We need the first sergeant. 
You, this is what happens when we oftentimes become complacent. We start comparing ourselves one to another. And if we're not careful, we'll do it corporately as the body of Christ. Well, I mean, why should we pray for the, tree, the church down the street? I, I hear this about them. I hear this about them. I hear, hear this. So we're better. We're worse. Or this church is exploding. Why aren't we? What do they have that we don't have? Da, da, da. See, we can do it individually, but we can do it corporately. But what has God called us to? What is the vision that's set before us? Where is the tip of the spear and who's going to be it? Right? Because when you're on mission, here's the cool thing. We're not persuaded by all the little petty things. We're on mission to see the world come to Jesus. And Jesus has chosen us to do that, to bring him into the world. We see comparison as one of those enemies, too, of Christianity so oftentimes because what it does is it causes us to to fixate on everyone's weaknesses instead of understanding we need to pray Christ's strength in them so that his purpose will be fulfilled. And people with purpose, by the way, they don't have this problem with settlement. They don't settle. They don't settle. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul addresses this. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to our area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Whoa, I don't think anything else needs to be said. He was on mission to bring Jesus to them. Well, how do we do this? Let me just encourage you, church. Get a game plan for every quarter of your life. Don't count on your points that you scored in the first quarter to get you through all four. Look down the road as far as you can. Find a life coach like a good friend who will tell you the truth. The best friend you have is the friend who won't let you settle for anything that you're call, anything less than what you're called to be. That's a good friend. When they say, I don't think you're measuring up, here's why. Because God's call is greater in your life than you know right now. And so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to pray for you and help you see that in your life. That is a wonderful great friend and by the way where do you find friends like that brave hearts sit at one of the brave heart tables learn to share your heart life groups men's retreat women's bible study all those things that are going on right uh, come to freedom in christ come to holy spirit class come to these things that are offered and gain a, a spiritual counterpart that will hold you accountable and cause you to never settle in life See, no vision leaves us with no reason to move. So we just sit and we hope we grow there, that somebody comes and waters the potted plant, as Jonathan Wright spoke so clearly at the life, giving, life group giving, at the, at the summit, okay, that we had here a while back. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Jump out of that plane. Put a parachute on, but jump out of that plane. You know, do something. Live life. Be creative. Because the God of the universe was very creative when he created it, and especially when he created you. And he called us. Yo.
y'all ever see the little animations at Christmas? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the claymation stuff. And the, the island of misfits. He put us all here together, folks. He created this body of Christ. And, and, and though we may all feel like a bunch of misfits, here's the cool thing. He's going to do, and he is doing something great through us. And we're known as his bride. We're just, we're different. But that's okay to be different. Look, go and have a family vision retreat. Find a spiritual exam and, and get a spiritual mentor to take you through that spiritual exam for your life. A consistent spiritual path with an end game in mind. Don't settle for less than God's best. Best. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Pay attention to that word. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Notice that day is capitalized. That would be the day I am rewarded for finishing, not settling. That's that day. So don't settle. Don't settle in life. In church, don't settle as the body of Christ. God has things for us to accomplish.